Hey friends and fellow walkers, I've got to tell you, I don't think I've ever had such an enjoyable time on an interview as I did with the host of Desert Voices podcast, Shalene Kendrick. I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's kick it off. If we're not reading the Bible through Jesus and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text. How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part. The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life. But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both. I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? As always, the sponsor of this episode is Rise Nutrition with Angie Niska. You can find Rise Nutrition on Facebook at Rise Menominee, and that's Rise with a Z. And of course, for Jesus Never Ran listeners, get that free wellness profile by clicking in the link of the show notes. Again, that's Rise Nutrition. Find them on Facebook at Rise Menominee. Today is another first for Jesus Never Ran. I have not yet interviewed another podcast host who that is like their main thing. So today I'm so excited to have on the show another progressive faith podcaster, the host of Desert Voices, Shalene Kendrick. Okay, who is Shalene? Well, first, I love to talk about myself, right? Which is why I go to therapy. I am fire. I mean, I I relate most with the element of fire. That's something to know about me. I am a podcast host on Desert Voices. And really what we do at Desert Voices is we want to explore spirituality and contribute to human flourishing. We want all the world to thrive. And so we spark curiosity and boldly explore spirituality because curiosity and exploration, not to be confused with conquest, we really believe push the human race forward. Like we believe they are contributors to human thriving and human flourishing for all humankind. And so we follow conversations that we're curious about, right? And so specifically in the realm of spirituality, I've always, as much as I dislike the call upon my life, if we want to use, you know, the religious language, and I have struggled with that growing up in a deeply conservative Christian community, we talk about the call of God, but I actually more appreciate process theology and their language in that. They call it the lure of God. And I love that. Like the lure of God has always been upon my life and And that's true for everyone, by the way. But specifically, the lure of God for me is to talk and write and facilitate conversations where people can encounter the divine, divine love in themselves, with themselves, with each other, in their relationships, in community. In that way, I'm a true evangelist. I cannot have a conversation without some way, shape, or form talking about the mystery that we call God. I've got to tell you, Shaleen, that out of the 100-plus episodes that I've done with Jesus Never Ran, that has to be the best 
description that anybody has given of themselves. <laughs> that was amazing. All right, before we jump in too much farther, why don't you give us a little bit of background to your faith journey, what you grew up in, and ultimately what led you to the place that you are at today? Absolutely. I loved Kent Dobson's Bitten by a Camel. His phrase, I was born into the belly of the evangelical church. My parents, whom I love with all of my heart. My dad helped start a mega church here in Scottsdale. And growing up, he was on the elder board. I was definitely grew up in, we go to church every Sunday, uh, complementarian theology. And so it meant the man is head of the household. Authority meant headship. Headship means submissive, which also for the record means subjugation for anyone who's wondering. But of course, we don't like the word subjugation. So it's way better to just call it roles rather than dominance. I could feel in my gut, there is something very wrong with this. Like you keep using brilliant language to attempt to convince me that my subjugation to the male figures in my life is godly. Yet I just know in the depths of my soul, this is wrong in every way. And so I was a very fiery, rebellious child, right? And so I'm 5'10". And so I would like go to my full height every time I would meet, especially men. And I did like the Trump handshake, right? Like really hard and just kind of over the top, like, yeah. I was doing everything my little female heart knew to do to take back my power in any way that I could. And so I would go to church. I went to this mega church in town. And I hated it. I felt like a lion trapped in a cage in there. So I left the church at 13. My parents lovingly let me, despite their deep involvement. So I was that right-wing, Republican, evangelical, white girl, suburbanite. I am all those things. I'm the quintessential all those things. And inside is this artistic, creative, inclusive unquenchable love for humanity. And so I, I was having consistently hard times reconciling my gut instincts with my head and my heart. Like my three centers were out of, out of alignment, right? I want to pause and say there was so many beautiful things that happened in the laboratory of conservatism and evangelicalism. And I'm really grateful for a lot of the things and relationships that I experienced there. And also, right, this is the this is the big pivot. Before you pivot, I do think that that's such an important thing that you just said, because too often we get so jaded by our past religious experiences. And we always you talked earlier before we pushed your cord about blaming. Right. We so want to blame something. I had a good friend of mine recently when I was kind of struggling with a little bit of that. And this friend just simply said, yeah, but everybody involved there grew because of that experience and became something better because of that experience. And that really altered my thinking on some of my previous career things and previous spiritual adventures and journeys as well. So I do think that you saying that is really, really vital and important because too often, and I felt myself doing this when I was deconstructing my faith, there was a point when I just became an asshole. Like I just felt so jaded by everything. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I didn't like it very much because I'm inherently an optimist. And when I noticed that, I realized, hey, I can't keep going down this bitter angry, frustrated path. At some point, I have to put a stake in the ground and make a turn, which it sounds like we're, you're going to tell us what happened with you right now. Yes, that's exactly right. I'm really grateful. And also, I was blind. And what's interesting is every time I sung Amazing Grace, how interesting that I always assumed it was the other person that was blind. 
and the, the beauty, right? The paradox of Jesus is when you start to figure out, oh shit, you're talking to me. I'm the zealot. I'm the, I'm the Pharisee. I'm the Sadducee. I'm the, I am the religious elite that you had major issues with. Fuck. Right. And so that was my pivot is I, there are so many good things that happen in the empire. And also at some point, if you're going to be an authentic follower of Jesus, you have to go to the desert and start to reconcile the ways that you are participating in or tempted by empire mentality, right? I wonder if as we look towards faith progressing forward and kind of this progressive thing that none of us know what it is, I wonder if a piece of it when we look back, when we're much older and we look back, a piece of it will be the importance of so many of us going through this evangelical phase in order to get to the desert, in order to get to whatever's next. I I love that. And I, I think that... That's a beautiful thing. I mean, we see that right throughout our own holy scriptures. We see the the importance of Judaism. It's important. And also, there was a pivot and a switch, right? That Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And interestingly enough, well, what happens when something is fulfilled? It's done. It's complete. It's time for the next thing, right? Let's just talk about a pool. When the pool is done and complete and filled up, you don't need to keep putting more things into it. It's done. It's, it's, it's ran its cycle. But the point that I'm trying to make is the incredible beauty of the Jewishness of Jesus taught us rhythms and cycles and story and endings, right? And our own spiritual narrative has this beautiful cycle of life, death, resurrection, life, death, resurrection. And yet we are so terrified of things dying. Yet that is the spiritual narrative that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it's a cycle of life, death, and resurrection. We are so afraid of evangelicalism dying that we're, we're literally clinging to the very end. And I, I just find such beauty in the death of my evangelical faith the way I knew it. And it was is still unbelievably painful. And there's such grief and there's such loss that goes along with that and such beauty and regrowth and flourishing and new life and thriving. Like if we really believe that when you see Jesus, you see God, you you see this cycle of life, death, and resurrection. And, and Jesus experienced quite a few endings, not just the end of his life, but even within, within his life, there was quite a few things that came to an end and transitioned and began anew. And I feel like his life is teaching us this rhythm. His death is teaching us this rhythm. His resurrection is teaching us this rhythm. And there's hope and flourishing and thriving in the rhythm. Evangelicalism needs to have, like it needs to die in a lot of, in a lot of the things that are part of it need to die. And I'm not saying the whole thing needs to die, but exercising power over others and calling it godly, that shit has to die. And I think I'm okay with the whole thing goes, honestly. Yes, I I agree. I think it might have to. And also, none of us have a corner on the market when it comes to doing it right. There's no such thing as doing spirituality right. And the best you can do is orient yourself towards truth and hope and life and resurrection. And for me, that's found in collaborative power. And you know that you're fucking this up when you're wielding power over others. That's how you know you have created your own hell. If you're participating in complementarian theology, you have created your own hell. 
if you refuse to recognize the ways that racism permeates our culture and our our lives and our thinking as white people, you have made your own hell and you're unleashing hell upon others around you. If you are homophobic, that is toxic power over others. That is a high control move and has nothing to do with the heart of God. And the really ugly and disturbing part about all of this is everything you just mentioned has been done in the name of religion, in the name of God, in the name of Jesus over and over and over historically. All of it. Yes. And then especially marginalized groups are taught to participate in their own subjugation, right? Like, let's just take patriarchy. Women are taught, godly women, submit to men. That's not godliness. That's just flat out giving you power over me. That's fucked up. When the Equal Rights Amendment was being pushed forward, I think it was in the 70s, one of the biggest opponents of it was a woman. And she would parade and she would gather other like-minded women to adhere to that subjugation. And it worked. And that is power by proxy, right? She found power, not over the men, but she could find power over other women. So why give that up? You don't change my mind. I started reading scripture no longer assuming I was on the top of the slope or actually recognizing I was on the top of the slope, wielding power over others. So when I started reading Paul's words and I heard Paul say, and I have a lot of issues with Paul, don't get me wrong, but I do like some of the things he had to say, like when he would say, I was the worst among them. I was the worst at wielding power over others. I was the worst at dominating others. I did that. Up until I had my own shift out of evangelicalism, I I now see, oh, fuck, I was the worst. The way I spoke about homosexuals was an abomination. It's not that homosexuality was an abomination. It's the way that I treated the queer community and the way I spoke about the queer community with disdain and dehumanizing rhetoric and dehumanizing energy. All, All of it was, that is the abomination. That is twisted. And I appreciate you bringing that up and just being honest enough because I was in the same camps in different spaces, not necessarily that one, but in certainly other spaces where part of the journey is mourning what we said and what we did and and what we believed. I was in kind of this church-wide retreat with a Presbyterian church I was on staff with and Brian McLaren came and he took, he would take a scripture with us. And what he would have us do is he'd have us read it several times and have us picture ourselves as different people in the story each time. And when he had me read it as if I was the Pharisee, it changed my life. That's exactly right. I started reading it going, wait, I'm the leper? But no, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat wealthy. I'm a suburbanite. I wear yoga pants and I drink Starbucks and, you know, like whatever. And then I go, shit, the American dream is rooted in white supremacy and fuck, that's me. (laughs) Like it was all those things that I go, oh my gosh, I, I have been participating in white supremacy and I had no idea. I just thought I was a good person. And in some level you were, right? So it's not to dismiss you being a good person. You're totally right. It's not all one thing. So I think what you're talking about right now is such a crucial part of whatever faith looks like, whatever Christianity looks like moving forward has to be rooted in all of us taking account for the part that we played in the toxic nature, because it's so easy to blame the people who did whatever to us 
But I know it took me so long to forgive myself for some of the youth camps that I spoke at and some of the things that I said and some of the the one-on-one conversations that I had. I mean, I had some dark moments just remembering some of the things that I stood for and that I promoted. Whether I truly believed it or not, I was speaking to hundreds of people as if I did. And that was just as much a part of the problem as, you know, the cult-like pastor that I was under for a while or all these other people that I, that are so easy to point my finger at when really I think a big part of us moving forward is just sitting in our own shit a little bit and saying, I was a part of this, so I am to blame. And also, I'm part of the solution because I realized that and now we can move forward or now I can move forward and hopefully help others move forward. Amen. And my husband just said to me yesterday, he goes, do you think you're going to go a day without saying and also? And I was like, no, probably not. It's my favorite phrase. Like, I love... I think we should change Desert Voices podcast to the and also also. Well, Roar, he stole it. I mean, I stole it from him, but... And he stole it from others. No, and we I all bet he stole heard it. it, right? I bet he heard it from But I, Yeah, I know. I'm sure he listens to me all the time. <laughs> and this is actually why I started Desert Voices is I feel like a walking, talking resource hub because I am insatiably curious. And I want to be a part of creating and contributing to the thing I wish I had 10 years ago when I was deconstructing. And it was lonely as hell. And I was blowing relationships up and blowing my life up. And partly because I was an asshole, I did not go through my deconstruction process well, and I have lost significant relationships, rightly so. Like, I wouldn't want to be friends with me either. So if any of my old friends are listening, please forgive me for being a raging bitch. And also, there's things we need to change. So I was a blowtorch. I still am a blowtorch, unapologetically. When it comes to patriarchy, heterosexism, and white supremacy, I I am a blowtorch about those every time. Well, here's the thing, Shaleen. I, uh, I, so I have a wood-burning fireplace in my house. Ooh. If, if I'm not in a hurry, I'll use a match. If I got to get that thing going, blowtorch. I've got a blowtorch that sits right next to it, and it works. It works quickly wow. and effectively every time. So your blowtorch mentality is not a bad thing. Matt, I feel like you just handed me a gift. All right, you brought up the idea of curiosity, which is so anti what we grew up with, right? Or so anti what the evangelical church, because evangelical church stands on certainty, knowing for sure what is what and what is not what. But this idea of curiosity, it it just feeds my soul. So speak to the importance of curiosity when we're talking about our faith journey and following Jesus. Oh my gosh. Well, curiosity is who Christ is. If you're anchored in a Judeo-Christian narrative, Jesus never answered a question. That bastard always told you a new story, or would ask you a question right back. That was infuriating. And what the reason I totally believe this is because curiosity, as you lean into it, that's the thing that starts to engage storytelling, right? Curiosity and storytelling go hand in hand. In storytelling, we know, because narrative psychology has finally caught up with Jesus, the narratives you tell yourself have the metaphysical power to heal your brain, your psyche, your, your world inside. And as you heal and become more whole, you then create better and healthier connections, intimate connections, community connections. There's no end. Like, I don't know. It might actually be good news and it might actually change the fabric of the universe as you are curious and as your curiosity leads you into better, 
more whole stories. Our mutual friend, Colby Martin, he's, and I use it for the intro of this podcast. He, at one point when I interviewed him, he said, if Jesus was here to give us all the answers, and if he was supposed to teach us what was right and wrong, can we just say horrible teacher? He wasn't giving us answers. He was leading us towards curiosity without a doubt. I don't know how you can read the gospel messages without seeing that because there's so many loose ends that he just left hanging there on purpose. Absolutely. And, you know, the book of Mark actually has no ending. Somebody else other than the author of Mark added the last 12 verses. It straight up ends on a cliffhanger. I have been a pastor for, you know, I don't know, since my early 20s. I've gone to seminary twice It has taken me this long to figure out that the book of Mark ends straight up on a cliffhanger. And somebody else gave us what Brian Blount would say, the Disneyland ending. That is messed up because there's so much to learn from the cliffhanger. There's so much curiosity when you're like, wait, what do you mean the women just went away and told nothing to anyone? I I truly believe that whoever wrote Mark was a brilliant theologian because he ends it sparking your curiosity. The reason is because the message of Jesus was always meant to take flight in the hearts and lives and stories of anyone who heard it. There was never meant to be an ending. And this is going to really piss the evangelicals off. There is no destination. The, The journey of spirituality, the journey is the point. Working out your wholeness, or as Paul would say, working out your salvation, which that Greek word sozo, it just means wholeness. So working out your wholeness is the point. And curiosity is what's going to engage your storytelling and your narratives. And oh my gosh, that curiosity is how you work out your wholeness. G.K. Chesterton, in his book, Orthodoxy, I think it's in one of the first couple of chapters, he talks about this idea. He said, there's, there's the scientist and the poet. He said, the scientist tries to get the clouds in his head. And he said, the poet tries to get his head in the clouds. And he said, it's the scientist whose mind splits open. And I, ever since I read that, I thought that that is a perspective changer because my whole evangelical experience, my 20 years being in the evangelical church, I felt like the whole goal was to get the clouds into my head, more knowledge, more knowledge, more certainty, more certainty. But the freedom that comes with trying to get my head in the clouds is, I mean, it just, it brings me alive every single morning. And the, the ability to not have the answers brings about a sense of freedom that certainty couldn't even touch. Absolutely. And curiosity, back to that value, like there's a reason any great dictator burns all the books, right? There's a reason men would not allow women to read the scriptures because a curious person is a dangerous person. The question is to whom? They're a dangerous person to the empire. They're a dangerous person to the status quo. They're a dangerous person to those that wield power over others. Because a curious person, that is what changes the world. And my goal is to be a little more curious every day. (laughs) All right. So all of the Jesus Never Ran listeners are now going to go over to Desert Voices. Yes. Subscribe to this podcast. Give it a five-star rating. Write these wonderful women a review. What can they expect when they head over there? What are the Desert Voices calling us to learn, discover? Tell us a little bit about the podcast, maybe even where it came from. Yeah, well, it was birthed out of my own story and Holland's story and uh, our friendship together. Desert Voices came from us needing to heal and being lonely, like being out in the desert 
When you experience an ending, you go into the desert, you go into a a wildness, right? A neutral zone. And the desert is the place you come face to face with yourself. The desert is not a place of retreat. It's a place of revolution. So come to the desert with us. And then voice is a literary term. It means having the power and authority to have a say in the matter. Where I'm concerned is helping all humankind take back their power and their voice. You have a say and authority in your own spirituality. And my heart is to stand in my own power, not not in a power over way, but in a collaborative, the power of co, right? Like, how can I stand in my power and you stand in your power? And how can we, in a synchronous way, like symbiotic way, how can we unleash the power of the world? That might actually be good news. Because Jesus, the message of Jesus is not to become powerless. You know, as much as specifically the Eurocentric heterosexual patriarchy would like you to believe that the message of Jesus is powerless, while they, of course, retain all said power, that's not true. There's different kinds of power. And so the beauty of the desert, the temptation that the Satan character presented Jesus was to exercise power over others. And the way of Jesus is power with others, collaborative power. My world changed when I figured out, oh, thank God, I because I could no longer be a Christian if it meant being powerless. That's a, non, that's a non-option for me. But learning how to let go of my addiction to toxic power, to empire power, and step into the way of Jesus, collaborative power, power in stories, power with others, that shit's life-changing. That lights me up. So we, we do three things. We're very simple. We tell stories. We tell stories that heal. So again, back to narrative psychology, I'm fully convinced that the stories you tell yourself have the metaphysical power to heal you at a cellular level. So we tell stories that heal. We write and curate tools to shift in your faith because it's lonely. And then we let connections happen. So we're about stories, tools, and connections. And natural connections happen when you tell stories and facilitate and shift in your faith with tools that put the information in your hands rather than top down, right? Like I'm not looking to be the next guru. I'm not looking to flip fundamentalism, right? Like don't come to me for answers, but I am a guide and I am a facilitator and I have a deep unquenchable love for humankind. So that's what you'll find. And you'll find a lot of mistakes and a lot of cursing. All right. Special thanks to Shalene Kendrick for being on the show today. Go to desertvoices.com to learn more about what they've got going on. And of course, go to your favorite podcast listening place and check out Desert Voices today. Right after this, do it. And then don't forget to hit subscribe, give them a five-star rating and write a review, which speaking of, why don't you do that for this show if you haven't either? Just give Jesus Never Ran a five-star rating, write a review, and of course, subscribe because you don't want to miss out on what's coming up next. Till next time, keep walking.